0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to Surviving My Podcast, a survivor podcast about living with dissociation, anxiety, and PTSD in support of all who have survived the trauma of abuse. Join me as we heal together, raise awareness, and inspire everyone to survive, thrive, and conquer their past. everyone. And this is surviving my podcast. My name is Matt, your host right back here for another awesome edition of the show. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm always stoked to have you here as we rock our survivor journey together. If you're a first time listener, I'm glad that you found the podcast and I hope that you'll find it validating, encouraging, and maybe a little fun too. Be sure and check out some of my other podcasts and head over to survivingmypast.net for blog posts, videos, and so much more in support of all who have survived the trauma of abuse. If you're a returning listener, you guys rock, you're amazing. I'm stoked that you continue to check out the shows and help spread the message of hope that we try to create here each and every episode. Be sure and subscribe to the podcast so you always be notified when a new show is released. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, and Google Play. Today I'm joined by my friend and special guest, Josh Rivadol. I first connected with Josh in early 2016, I believe it was when we started talking about sharing my story in his upcoming book, The i Project, Changing Minds, Breaking Stigma, Achieving the Impossible, volume number two. I'll be sure and link that info in the show notes and in the blog post, and we'll be sure and cover that as we talk to Josh. Josh is an international public speaker, author, playwright, theater producer, educator, marketing consultant, and arts entrepreneur. As a public speaker, his primary focus is on suicide prevention, Speeches and seminars on his experiences as a survivor of loss, an attempt survivor, and youth suicide prevention. I'm honored to have this dude join me here on the podcast as we talk about his work with prevention, the Impossible Books, and his mental health advocacy work. So, welcome, Josh. What's happening, man?
1: Hey, brother, man. I'm so glad to be to be on the show with you, man. Not too much. Just chilling out here in L.A. I'm uh, talking to you, man. Having a, a coffee.
0: Nice, man. Nice. Love it. Yep. It's it's pretty nice weather here, but probably not quite as nice as LA, I'm guessing, over here in PA.
1: You know, I've never been in two places at one time. I'm still working on that, but probably you're right. Yeah. If you can I'm figure thinking.
0: that out, please let me know because I will help you patent that stuff, man. I'm telling you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Done. I'm hoarding it. I'm keeping it to myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> you know, um, something I always find interesting that, you know, when I'm writing up the intro for the for my show and I'm checking out the guest's website and their bio, and I see how many titles or acronyms or specialties they reference, I'm thinking to myself, how in the hell can I fit all this in and still have time to do a show and not seem like I'm reading from a script? So seriously, though, um, it does speak to your diversity and your passion for helping others, and I'm and I'm glad that you're here with me today, man. Thanks,
1: brother. And, uh, you know, it means a lot, you know, that we get to do this.
0: So absolutely, man. It's my pleasure. And uh yeah, before we get going, I was also on your podcast, which I'll be sure to link in the show notes and on the blog post as well. And that was a great honor. So I'm gonna encourage everybody to check out not only the show that you and I did, but also all of your other great shows that you're starting up here. So anywho, let's talk about your work with suicide prevention and awareness.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um I guess, you know, so I got I, I started getting involved in the work in twenty eleven and Um, it was really as a response to my father's suicide in 2009 and then my own crisis that I was in, in in the beginning of that year in 2011. And, uh, I just, it, it was like, I need to start doing this because it felt like nobody was talking about it or weren't talking about it in a constructive or productive way, or even a way that I could digest, which, which is, you know, some humor, just some, you know, something entertaining, engaging, um, and i felt there was a real lack of that and and i think there still kind of is in some ways and there's there's been a lot of kind of new programming out there that's that's been hitting the mark but i was trying to fill a void and so i started doing this one man play that that i had wrote, written prior to being in crisis myself and and right after i lost my dad and so uh it the one man play is kind of a the love child of stand up comedy and traditional theater so i play like 18 characters or something like that sing a little bit it's the story between, you know, me and my dad growing up, going in show business, very tempestuous relationship, and at the end, the piece, even though it's a comedy, it deals uh, with his suicide and how that affected me, and uh, and so I, I threw some education on the back end of that, um, signs and symptoms of suicide, how and where to get help, what help looks like, um, destigmatizing mental health and mental illness, and really just speaking honestly and openly, and then a little Q&A at the end. And, uh, I got a chance to do that at Brew College in May of twenty eleven and the young man at the end was very verbal about actually going out and getting help because of what happened there and so that has and probably still is my best seller in terms of like what I do um as far as education and i I do talk to a lot of um college students college campuses i've uh, you know I've spoken in four countries um uh, u s Canada. Australia, England, and uh, and then it's kind of evolved into uh, diversity programming programming that has a touch of mental health and and mental illness stuff in it. Um, there's stuff on uh, uh, well, I have a mental health based curriculum now called Changing Minds, which has been tested and you know we've got data and numbers, and that combines storytelling, lecture, group discussion, and improv theater, and uh, and so now that. Particular piece, you know, which is five modules. Um, it's in high schools, middle schools. Um, I, there's one district out here in California that um, is going to be adopting it, and there's a couple more in in Texas that are looking at it. A hospital, a, a fire department. So that stuff's getting around. And then the the books, uh, one of which you're in, um, are really important to me because storytelling is really important to me as a as a former professional playwright and still you know, author and uh, that kind of stuff storytelling is huge for me and uh, and and uh after i had been you know after I speak at a lot of places or do the curriculum or whatever, um, people want to talk about their story, they want to talk about what 's going on in their world, and whether it 's mental health, sexual assault uh, depression, fatherhood i mean even positive stuff and so it's it 's really important for me because I, I see these stories, I hear these stories, and they change my life, and I know they change the storytellers life. And I had this platform and I, I figured, you know, let me get other people to tell their stories because a lot of, a lot of folks wanted a bigger platform. They wanted to be able to speak out and sort of be a thought leader and a voice. And I wanted to provide that opportunity. So now we've got actually three books in the impossible catalog. There's uh, reengaging with life, creating a new, you, which came out um, January of 2016. And then we have your book, um, Changing Minds, Breaking Stigma, Achieving the Impossible, and uh and that came out August twenty three, twenty seventeen. And then there's a a new ebook series that kind of accompanies the main series and that's only twenty stories, whereas yours and the previous were fifty stories. And that's just kind of a way to bring more people into the ecosystem and that's called Lemonade Stand. And uh and that's just people kind of turning lemons into lemonade, no specific theme. Uh, Your books, your book, uh, that theme was mental illness and mental health and the previous book was more diversity. So, I mean, you know, kind of juggling lots of things, podcasting now too. Um, I don't know. I I think I call myself the mental health and suicide prevention mule. So, um, you know, kind of whatever needs to be done, I'll just kind of (laughs) buck up and do it. And uh, I don't know, man, just put me to work, you know.
0: Yeah, dude, no doubt. Um, you are into so many amazing things. And um, the uh, one man play that you referenced, there is an excerpt on your uh, website, which I'll link to in the show notes that um, gives like a five or six minute kind of highlight reel of that. So it's really cool. I definitely encourage everybody to check it out. So um, it's such a unique way to present such a, such a sensitive subject. Um, and while that the subject of uh, suicide prevention and awareness is getting more and more Uh, press or steam or whatever, you know, these days, um, I think it's it's a great way that you present your message, because it strays from the norm of the typical getting up and talking for 90 minutes and you've got, you know, a PowerPoint presentation and some slides and that's kind of just it. But the way that you present your story with, with, with using theater and it's, I think it's just amazing. So, um, how is, how is your story normally received when you use that type of way to, to present it? Like do people really seem to get into it and really understand it and kind of take it to heart?
1: Actually? Yeah, they do. It's uh, it's, it was really this happy accident. And, um, you know it's just something that that people really have been connecting to in different demographics and audiences like historically black college um hbcu um uh, religious colleges i got to speak at a at a conservative orthodox um university yesh- yeshiva in new york city and youth and elderly and i think it's just the fact that i think i'm real and honest and open and then what we do, I, I entertain first and kind of um, just make it a little bit lighter and palatable. And then, unfortunately, a lot of people can relate because suicide effects and mental illness and mental health, they, they affect more people than, than what's kind of statistically shown and what people are divulging and stuff. So it gives them an opportunity to kind of, and an outlet to kind of own own what they've experienced without judgment and like it's like oh hey me too I'm not alone and so I think it's been really kind of quite wonderful to connect with people in that way using theater and advocacy and education all combined into one little pot
0: yeah man it's it's really amazing and I love whenever a uh, presenter really uses their 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 unique talents and skill sets to bring a message that really hits home in a way that strays from the traditional type of speaker where, you know, you're just sitting there taking notes and you're not really fully engaged, but in yours, uh, you know, especially with theater, you just get caught up in the moment. You get caught up in the story. And just when I watched that little excerpt on your website, I was like totally just enthralled with, with what you were saying. And I felt really connected. And I got to imagine that, all of the all of the college students and other organizations and whatnot that watch it really have to feel the same way, so it's props to you for really taking such a tough subject and bringing it out in in a relatable way that you know even if you're not necessarily into theater or it's not something you really understand or do a lot, when you act something out and you portray it in a way that you do, you're bringing your message in a way that you can understand a way that most people can relate to. And I think it really just – it really takes it to a whole new level, dude.
1: Thanks, man. Um, it's it's so funny you said you might not be into theater. Like that's that's been some of the kind of, I don't know, irony or I, – I can't think of the right word right now. But college students generally aren't uh, – especially college, right? So like they're not traditionally like exposed to live theater, um, just kind of what, how we live right now and how media and, and entertainment is consumed. So I've I've had to devise ways because it's all, quite often not a requirement to show up. You know, sometimes it's a leadership thing or a convocation, and so it is kind of a requirement. So I've come up with different ways to get people into the room, whether it's, like, you know, food in the room. And then once they're there, they're down, you know, but it's because, like, oh, I'm not in the theater, so they don't quite get it. And then once we get them in the room, based on my years of experience in getting people in rooms, you know, working with the, the student, uh, you know, event planner or whatever, uh, you know, we'll we'll put, you know, we'll have 150, 200 people in the room. And some of whom which I just came for the free pizza. And then they're like, Oh, this was cool, man. I've never seen some theater or whatever it is, you know, so it's kind of kind of fun, kind of funny, uh, just kind of riffing on that thought that you had. But anyway, moving right along.
0: <laughs> so what what college student is is going to turn down free pizza? Like, are you kidding me? I mean, for that's real. a great way to get butts in the seats, man. I mean, if you're saying free food to college kids, you're you're golden, man. I mean, you could be talking about how paint dries, and I'll and I'll show up for like freaking. Yeah. <laughs> that's so, yeah, awesome. that's that, so awesome! That's so awesome. That's one of
1: my topics: how paint dries. It's
0: a uh, it really important
1: work. No, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's so awesome. Hey, um, I want to transition a bit into your your role as you kind of see yourself as an advocate for mental health awareness. Um, you know, yeah. as you mentioned, uh, you know, you, you do cover it in some of your speaking engagements and, Oh, uh, you know, on your blog posts and whatnot, but when you're up there, um, speaking in front of a group or you're writing a blog post or doing a podcast about mental health, what are you in particular t- trying to convey? Like what is your message in terms of awareness and mental health specifically?
1: I, I think in a very general sense, uh, it's, it's really about, offering, you know, people this idea that they're not alone. Uh, I had somebody, I, I, I had an Uber driver uh, from my house to the airport because um, I fly a lot, and uh, and we were talking about my work because inevitably that sometimes will come up, and uh, and he was, what do you think the biggest problem in mental health is? And a lot of people get mental health and mental illness confused as if as they're mutually exclusive. Like mental illness is like kind of a disorder, and mental health is like hugging your puppy at the end of the day because you had a stressful day. It's managing the day-to-day, right? Anyways, like, what is the biggest problem in mental health? Schizophrenia, depression, you know, you had some some knowledge or whatever, and I was like, honestly, nobody's talking about it. That's the thing. So, like, it's my job to get people talking by doing these, hopefully, interesting, engaging, entertaining um, different things that, you know, whether it's the podcast, whether it's uh doing a a one man play, whether it's curriculum, uh whether it's creating different kinds of media messaging, um, it's important to to, to let people know that they can talk. Like dudes, like you can talk. Like it's okay. I know we have this machiste sort of uh society who picks up by the bootstraps, we can't you know, men can't show emotion and this and that. And it's like, yeah, and and sometimes I stigmatize myself with that stuff too, but but men it's okay to talk. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay you know, you're not less of a man for doing that. Please, come on. Um, so it's that. And then educating people on, on on different things, whether, you know, if it's if it's my curriculum, you know, it's like, okay, so we're talking about either the basics of mental health and mental illness, because people don't understand that. It's talking about coping skills, talking about what to do if you're loving someone, living with someone, or a person living with mental illness, or, how, or just walking people through what it's like to be with someone who, like, or intervene with someone who is suicidal. And, and how to be there with them and how to help them and facilitate, you know, this idea that, that you and them need to work together to get that person professional help, you know, that kind of a deal. And making people aware of resources. And then on, just on a bigger level, like on a social justice level, especially with the podcast, especially with them when I'm talking about diversity um, and, and different things that, that happen on social media, um, uh, I think social equity and social justice is so important. You know, whether that's, um, you know, whether that's, uh, we're talking ethnicity, whether we're talking about socioeconomic status, whether we're talking about sexual assault um, and and fighting for rights or, or past abuse or whatever, because that to me is, is upstream of suicide prevention. Like different things like a, 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 a kind of having the house fall down on you, so to speak, as far as a socioeconomic status, you keep trying to get up, trying to get up, and you can't, and you can't, and you can't and it seems that the whole world is against you, at some point you might get suicidal. I mean, that happens. You've you been in prison. The, the, the system is sort of, it's a, it's a systemic way to kind of keep people down, you know, nonviolent offenders, that kind of stuff. I, I don't want to get too far into that, but um, whatever it is, you know, I think, let me say it. Let me say suicide prevention without saying it. Let me say it way before we get to that place. I don't want to help people. I mean, I do, but I I, I want to lessen the occurrences of, Um, helping people when they're finally broken down. I want to get to them before they're broken down. You know, let's get to them. Let's get out of our offices and and hit the streets, as it were. So that's kind of what what my deal is with all this stuff.
0: It's very uh, interesting that you brought up the topic of, you know, how nobody's talking about it and, you know, how – Um, guys often have this guy code or the man card or whatever you want to call it. Um, I did a podcast with my buddies that I do about every four to six weeks, we call it the mental health megacast. And it's, it's three guys who sit around and kind of a roundtable discussion on the podcast and talk about, um, you know, mental health awareness, mental illness, addiction, recovery, depression, all types of things. And we just Talked about um, on a show that I loaded up actually just today as we're recording this a topic um, about how difficult it can be for guys to somehow figure out that it's okay to talk when you're in you know you're at you're at somebody's party or you're at a gathering and all the women kind of go over and they start talking about 50 things at once and guys are standing around talking about football, or they're talking Uh about music or politics. And it may very well be that one of us is there because we really want to talk to somebody that we trust about, you know, a sensitive issue, something that we're going through. But we delay and we delay and we talk about everything else but that. And then by the time the night's over, we're sitting there kicking ourselves because we wish we, we would have brought it up sooner. And so I really like how your, you know, your platform encourages people, um, you know, not just guys, but people in general to just sit there and say, okay it's okay to talk about this. It's okay to talk about my struggles and all of that really leads into the, the prevention aspect of suicide and encouraging everyone to get out and talk and share and open up and not just be isolated and closed down because you're too tough or, you know, you should be able to handle it by yourself or nobody's going to understand or any of that typical, typical type of stuff, you know, the whole mm-hmm. man card, tough guy type of persona.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, and we do we do have that code right and so like my my thing too is like and i i think this kind of ties into what you got going on too like let's use that code to kind of let's kind of enhance that code like if 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 what we do is stand around an engine block and grunt and spit and talk or not talk like let's use that as a connecting point like there's some really cool stuff in like england and uh, australia called men sheds And I think, you know, it's kind of they do talk mental health, but it's it's really heavy on fixing stuff and kind of grunting and, you know, the kind of stereotypical sort of stuff. And and I think um, I think it's great. You know, let's let's use the code, but use it productively, I
0: guess. Everything that you're doing, you know, the stuff that I do, anybody who takes up the mic or the keyboard or, you know, a speaking platform to raise awareness and share their story, I think just deserves, you know, everybody's utmost respect um, because they are taking a stand and speaking out. They're not being silent. They're not being ashamed. They're trying to erase, you know, whatever stigma there is, whatever shame they have. And you're right. The platform that you use and the one that I use, um, you know, both of us are guys talking about uh, mental illness and advocacy and whatnot um, from a guy's point of view. And, you know, whether that's talking about music, I mean, you know, you're right. You can incorporate, all different types of conversation, as long as we don't forget that there's there's a deeper subject beneath all the surface talk that we want to make sure we cover um, in a comfortable way and in a reassuring way that lets everybody know that hey, you're not alone, dude. You know, guys struggle with depression, with with uh, you know suicidal ideations, with with trauma recovery, with eating disorders, all this stuff out there. You know, it's not just a you know, a guy or a gal thing, it's a human thing. So I applaud your work, dude. I think it's amazing. And I'm just, I'm so stoked to hear you just talk about this and share how you are able to help people um, on such an amazing level as you travel around speaking and writing your books and whatnot. So props to your brother, man. You're awesome.
1: Oh, dude, man, that, that that means a lot from someone who's really doing some great work. I appreciate that, man. Thank
0: you, man. Thank you. Absolutely. So let's let's move on to the books. Um, And as you mentioned, there are three volumes now, which I thought there was only two, but there's three. So I just learned something. So go me today. <laughs> right? But um, yeah, yeah. so the 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 books are the um, the I'm possible project. And of course, you can find all this on the website. And I'll be sure and link it in the show notes. So how did this how did this book series get started? What was your inspiration? Um, kind of take us through. Uh, the process a little bit if you can.
1: Yeah, man. So, um, I guess, I guess it really kind of started to take root at the end of 2013, early 2014. Um, I really wanted to do something that was beyond me, um, because I'd been telling my story and basically I was just me and there's, there's kind of a lot that goes into that. Like it's, I think it's harder to, to promote the good stuff that you want to do when you're kind of only doing it and it's about you. I mean, even though it's not technically about me, it's for other people. Um, I just wanted, I wanted the world, you know, whoever's in my sphere of influence that like, even if they were tempted to think that this was about me, it's not about me. It's not this self aggrandizing piece. Like if, if I could, you know, go be a DJ or a crossing guard or something and be out of work in this field, like fine, you know, That'd um, be great, but I love this work and I want to prevent suffering. And so, um, there was another piece where I wanted to bring people into my ecosystem who I thought were interesting, kind, um, you know, were doing good work. And 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 I got a chance to go to Australia, and it kind of crystallized this idea that I wanted to do because this dude who was running a, uh, one of the heads of this crisis line that I was. Um, doing some speaking work for educating work for, um, was talking about his work in social entrepreneur in the social entrepreneur space and kind of talking about his work in Scotland and then coming to Australia and how uh you know we can get, get way upstream of this kind of what I said before. Like we can go upstream, we can we can do stuff, you know, by changing the town center, we can do things by changing the way we educate. We can do things you know, by reforming the prison system. And then we, you know, and then he, we, and, then he and I kind of riffed on some of the, the prototype early stuff of what I was kind of talking, you know, w- what I wanted to develop, including the curriculum that was just really just seeds in my head and uh, that hadn't been watered or, or, or grown yet. And uh, and so from there, you know, I, I realized, like, I'd been connecting with all these people uh, via, um, you know, via my shows and, and speaking engagements who wanted to tell their story. And at first it was a blog. Sort of series called the Good News Project uh, before it was called the Impossible Project because of the, the play that I was doing, that I had been doing, was originally called The Gospel According to Josh, and people kind of got the wrong idea, like like I was going to preach or something, and really it was just kind of a tongue in cheek thing because my dad was super religious. So then I changed that piece to uh, kicking my blue jeans in the butt. And good news was originally like a play on gospel and then it was like, This feels too like religious for me. So then it was I was searching for this name and it was I you know, I'm possible and I was like, Oh this this totally works and I was kind of shopping around to friends testing the idea and everybody kinda of loved it. Um and then so from blog to the next step being book or books, uh you know, I, I was kind of um somewhat somewhat inspired by the series Chicken Soup for the Soul. But I wanted to do something a little bit grittier. I wanted to do something with more hard-hitting topics, um, stuff that didn't quite seem so trite. So, like, in a in a sense, like, I think there might be a little less mass appeal um, of what we're doing. But, you know, I'm incorporating new and different topics. There's going to be – in going forward, there's going to be a, a book on veterans. There's going to be a, a 12 to 19, like, teenager book. Um, lemonade stand is going to keep going I, I think next year we're going to do another 20 stories and then we're going to com- compile the two, the two 20 story volumes and throw an extra 10 on the back and so it becomes a 50 story compilation and I'll put those out as, um, as a, a paperback um, kind of like what we're doing with your book and the a, a book prior. So it'll kind of just bring more people into the ecosystem and, and talk about more interesting things and things that need to be discussed and, and heard and from different angles and points of view. Um, so it, it really was this idea that I wanted to work with people who are interesting and kind because I've worked with people who aren't that, and let's face it, like we all have to work with people. I mean, that's, that's life. We can't do everything on our own. And, uh, and I'd been burned a lot, um, especially in the world of theater and producing theater when I was, you know, doing that full time. And now I'm doing this full time and I work for myself. And, and, uh, and so I get a chance to choose who I want to work with. And I'm too damn old to be working with people when I don't, I don't want to work with, or I'm tired of or whatever. So I wanted to bring people in, uh, in that ecosystem. I also wanted, you know, people to kind of take ownership of this project too, this, the impossible project, like take ownership of it, like whatever that means to you you know, whether that you're promoting it, whether you're just telling your sister about it, whether, you know, you become a flag bearer for the, for the thing um, and, and or, you know, whether it complements the existing project that you've got going on and it becomes some kind of a partnership or a friendly sort of a thing, whatever, you know, you, we can dress this up and dress it down so people feel like uh, they have some ownership of this piece, you know, some, some emotional ownership of this. And, uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's been ticking upward. Uh, I've been doing this for six and a half, almost seven years. Um, and, uh, it's it's been an interesting journey to say the least.
0: I always find it amazing whenever I hear somebody mention something that kind of hits home. And that is, you mentioned how you were sharing your blog posts and stuff. And, um, then you started getting into the, the world of sharing other people's stories. And it's amazing how you know, uh, people can relate to your own story and, you know, it helps them feel like they're not alone to hear somebody else talk about, it, especially a guy. But then when you start sharing other people's stories and giving them a platform, I mean, oh my God, dude, it just blows up. I know when I first started surviving my past, it, it was originally just like a little therapy blog for myself. I was telling my story, my struggles. I was writing four or five posts a week. I'm, you know, I'm feeling this, I'm struggling with that. This sucks. That's horrible. And, you know, people, people were relating to it and they were, you know, enjoying hearing somebody talk about it. But then I, when I started getting the idea of allowing other people to share their story as a guest blogger, it just goes absolutely. I mean, it just blows up in such an amazing way because you are, you are harnessing that power of sharing your story and not being ashamed and speaking out and giving other people a voice that maybe they, maybe they wouldn't normally have because they aren't, you know, they don't have a blog or they're not, you know, in a position to go out and speak somewhere. So the book, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, I'm in volume two, which I I am so honored to be in there. So thank you again. And the way that you allow people to share your story in a very raw, real way, a very kind of gritty, not so fluffy, everything's nice and awesome, but a real down to earth way is just, it's, it's, it's an incredible way to, uh, to uh, present your message and the message of others.
1: Thanks, brother. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I mean, the, the, the authentic voice, I think, is really important. I, I don't know if I mentioned that, but I did say, like, it, I don't want it to be, like, trite, you know, kind of sometimes I feel like some of the chicken soup stuff is, even though they, they're they very valid and good and all that. But um, uh, I wanted to, when I'm editing these stories, cause I play, you know, I, I, I curate the content and then I edit it, and then I'll set it in for copy editor. But I'm the thematic editor. Meaning like we might flip paragraphs, we might, you know, uh, put more dialogue in the story or whatever. I want it to flow, but I don't want it to sound like me. So um that's really important. But I also if it needs to be gritty or if it needs to be a little unpolished, that's cool too. And I I even instruct my copy editor, which which made it take a little bit longer because they're doing line edits, they're like, Well, the subject and verb don't agree. I'm like that in that sentence, that's okay because this is why, and you know, I want to sound authentic and real. And so uh, sometimes it, it, it reads more the way people talk than the way of what's kind of considered proper, you know, AP style guide kind of writing. But um, I'm cool with that. And I think, I think people have been appreciating that. So uh, just kind of want to riff on that idea uh, for you or with you. Yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the way that, you know, uh, anybody who reads my blog post, I write how I talk and I do podcasts, how I talk. And when somebody sends me a story, I mean, other than fixing the basic, perhaps you know, uh, spelling errors or something. I mean, I largely leave it the way they send it because I want it to be their voice Mm -hmm. coming from their perspective, the way that they talk, the way that they see themselves in the world, and I that really, really just helps create that atmosphere of connecting with somebody. To where, yeah, maybe the you know the subject and the verb don't go together, or maybe this paragraph was a little too long, or maybe they used some type of slang or a different type of vernacular that maybe isn't quite the ABC way how to do it, but it's how they are and it's how they talk and it's the way they see the world. So who am I to try and change their voice, man? Right?
1: Dude, you're Matt Papas. You can do whatever you want. What are you talking about?
0: Okay. (laughs) Don't you know who you are? (laughs) Don't you know who I I am? am? Well, damn. (laughs) Thank you for reminding me. I had totally forgotten. Um, but yeah, um, the last thing I want to get to here, um, is a new segment that I'm starting on the podcast and it's just kind of sharing like an interesting fact or something that people might not know about you. And I was on your website, which is Joshua And of course I'll put that down below. Um, and there's a section called fun facts about Josh, which is on your about, mm. page. <laughs> I, was, I was, I was reading through them and I'm, th- and, and I see stuff. I'm like, that's cool. That's cool. What the hell is this? So I'm looking and it says, he used to serve in the Civil Air Patrol in sixth and seventh grades and nearly became a pilot until he discovered his fear of heights. So I kind of maybe have an idea of what a Civil Air Patrol is, but how do you get into that in like sixth grade, dude? Like, come on.
1: <laughs> um. Well, it, it really started when I wanted to become a ninja. No, Um. You know, I, I had, some, <laughs> I had some, some kids that I grew up with that I looked up to. They were a couple years older than me. And uh, and I was kind of really into the military at the time, um, and, and and they were talking about being pilots, and so I was like, oh, this sounds cool. Like I I think that could be really something for me. And I was looking to, to kind of you know for some place to belong and to connect. And so the Civil Air Patrol really is is what that means. That it's the it's the civilian uh, auxiliary to the Air Force. I Meaning, so in like World War Two. They didn't work with the airports. to actually help the Coast Guard kind of maintain some of the, uh, you know, some of the coastline or whatever. I mean, it really is civilian. I mean, you know, we wore uniforms. It was like playing D.I. Joe. Like uh, we would go like once a week and uh, we'd wear um, for the meetings. We'd wear like um, camo. And boots, and have you know very typical like I mean it was a, it had to be pressed, starched, you know, ironed. Um, we had ranks. Um, I think I was like uh, like a, a, a tech sergeant, I think. So I think I was I had five stripes, and then it would be like master sergeant, and then maybe something else. And then they had their own like this the, the the first thing the first jump to being an officer. And actually, what's cool about that is once you become an officer in in that sort of realm. Uh, you, it's like one of four or one of two sort of pieces of the puzzle you need to get into the Air Force Academy. So if you want to get like a commission coming out of uh, you know coming out of college or whatever that kind of a deal, um, but I so I, I I was involved with it for for almost two years. And I went to this thing called encampment, which is like one of the first things you got to do—that's outside of your own little home troop or whatever. And we were based on McGuire Air Force Base in Fort Dix, in New Jersey. And uh, and and so this encampment deal is like bringing people. I think it was really from most of the state of New Jersey that were doing Civil Air Patrol. So wherever these other places were, there was a lot of people there. I was like 12, maybe, and I had. One of my the kids that I was up to um, was doing stuff on a very high level within that organization. And so he helped me with, like, my uniform and, like, you know, the, just making it super sharp and polishing and all that stuff. And so we did a lot of drilling and marching and education and different things. And so I, I – of my flight, which is, like, a squadron or something, so there might have been, like, 50 people, or 100 people, I got honor cadet. So I was, like, the number one in my flight or something like that. And I, had, I think I have the plaque somewhere still. Um uh, I think it's holding open a window somewhere. No, I don't. I don't remember what the hell it's doing, but because um, <laughs> it's so important. But yeah, man, that was like, and then and then so the thing about the flying piece was like I was I think I was in seventh grade at that point, and this was me kind of winding down my civil air patrol career. Um, was uh, we got you know uh, I don't know how many of us twenty of us whatever went into this in this hangar that had. Um, uh You know, like uh twin propeller Cessnas and and very small planes, and uh and and it was me and a buddy of mine that I grew up with, and, uh, and so inside the hangar, there's pool, there's everything, whatever you know, people, vending machines and this and that. People hanging out, and then he and I were going to get into one of us is going to get in the front, one of us is going to get in the back. I can't remember what, and the thing starts moving. I'm like, oh hell no! And so I get out, man, because it, it was like a tiny plane. It was tiny. You know, and I had never flown before anywhere. Like, I'd never flown commercial or anything. And uh, and and so it scared the hell out of me. And, and ironically, if you don't mind, like, another 30 seconds, um, as an adult, like, maybe a year ago, last summer, I had to take um, a plane from uh, Cape Girardeau to – or I'm sorry, from St. Louis to Cape Girardeau, which is St. Louis to St. Louis, and Cape Girardeau is, like, southeastern Missouri, tiny area – and I didn't realize when I bought my flight that the only fleet that goes down there are these tiny single or double propeller airplanes. So I get there, and they start putting the luggage in the nose of the plane. And then they're like, well, we need to wait again when we kind of transfer between terminals. And I'm like, what do you mean, what, in case I ate something? Like, what are you talking about? Like, it was really strange. Like, it had to be a very specific weight to get there's like eight of us in the plane and my knees are basically in earlobes of the of the co-pilot because we're that close, and um, and we go up and and it's really hot and whatever, and so we start we get to where we got to go, but we're circling for a minute, and then the pilot turns around and is like, "Hey, guess what?" So um, the left side landing gear isn't coming down. We've been trying for a while and it's not coming down and it won't come down, and we'll circle like one or two other times. And I actually found out they were circling really because they're waiting for the fire department and the police department to show up on the on the landing strip. And dude turns around and he's trying to be cool and explaining me things like, so, um you know, who's got, who's taking care of the little guy in the back? Because it was like an eight-year-old in the back. And I'm like, who's taking care of the old dude in the front? You know, me. <laughs> oh and God, I'm, I'm like nervous. And I hold this lady's hand and I'm thinking like we're going to land on one piece, like one one wheel or whatever. It turns out there's three. There's a front, then there's a right and a left in the back. So I was like, we didn't, I mean, we just landed on the front and the right um, wheel. And we were fine. They ended up being fine, but it scared the hell out of me. And then I was supposed to take that flight back, but somebody, uh, you know, on the way back, but somebody drove me up uh, instead. But so kind of ironic that I didn't want to go on that plane. I was scared of flying, and I fly all the time commercially. And then here I am, kind of picking up where I left off in seventh grade, and my worst fears come true, you know? Kind of funny and ironic. But that's my Civil Air Patrol Plus adult story.
0: I love it, man. I'm (laughs) telling you, I would be scared out of my mind. I know. Just to kind of piggyback real quick. About four or five years ago for my birthday, um, my wife at the time took me to, uh, there's, a, there's a, a local small airfield about 20 minutes from my house. And once a year, they do like an open house. You know, you can ride helicopters and airplanes and whatnot. And, and so we, we were checking out some of the old warplanes that were there. You know, they had some bombers and they had uh, a P-51 Mustang and all that. And they were giving rides from the local pilots. So she got me a ride on this little single engine Cessna, this little blue and white plane. And now mm. I had flown you know, I, I had flown in, you know, jets before and commercially from time to time, but never on a small plane. So I'm like, ah, oh, this will be cool. It was like a 30 minute tour around this, you know, the city or whatever. So we take off or so first of all, like we climb in and there's no leg room. It's oh, no. hot as hell. I'm like five inches from the pilot who's on my left. And, you know, um, <laughs> my wife and son are, are right behind me. And so he, he takes off and, you know, it's not too bad, but, after about 10 minutes into the flight we start getting turbulence and like the whole damn plane is shaking and i'm like oh my god are you oh, kidding hell no. <laughs> I'm like there's no way i'm like get me out of here so mm-hmm. I, I went into this like full on panic mode where like my hands were were like just clenched onto the seat you know what i was sitting on and like um my wife said that i turned like total pale white like i lost all color and then when we ah, landed ah. it was this resounding thud of like Okay, we're we're on the ground. I think I literally got out and kissed the ground when I was done. Like I'm telling you, I swear. <laughs> <to God. laughs>
1: and that's how Matt got his cold sore. Everyone,
0: no, <laughs> that's exactly right. I'm like, oh my god! So I have not since flown in anything um uh, smaller than like a, a a commercial jet. Now I don't fly that often, but when I do, I'm like, if there is some kind of a layover or or changing flights, it better be on a jet. I swear to God.
1: But <laughs> oh, word, yep, right I on. feel you on that, man. I am not playing. I totally got you in that, man.
0: Ooh. <laughs> That's awesome. Josh, this has been incredible. I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing some of your insight and, and your platform and some of your stories. Um, why don't we go ahead and wrap up? You can tell everybody where to find you on social media, on your website, how to get the books and all that good stuff.
1: Sure. Yeah. Awesome, man. Thank you. Um... You can find me, I mean, I guess the main website is the I Am Possible Project website. So that's IAMPossibleProject.com. So like I Am Possible. So IAMPossibleProject.com. Uh, you can find the podcast at that link slash podcast. Uh, the books are um, slash one, slash two, slash lemonade. Um, you can find me on my personal site, I That needs a little love, so don't. Put down that haterade for a second when you go there. And um, uh, social media, Twitter, Joshua. Um, uh There's at i underscore m possible p r o j. Um, I'm on Facebook at uh, Josh. I think Josh. or Josh Rivital, something like that. So I don't know. Just just you know, go to my site or whatever. Um, there's a contact form that goes straight to my email. So you know, I, I'm cool, man. I, I love hearing from people. So. Um, don't hesitate to reach
0: out. Thanks again for listening to surviving my podcast sponsored by surviving my a blog about my life with dissociation, anxiety, and PTSD and in support of all who have survived the trauma of abuse. This podcast or any resources sponsored by surviving my net should not be considered as therapy or professional medical help. If you are in crisis, I encourage you to seek out the services of a mental health or physical health professional. I also encourage you to check out online crisis support from sites like rain.org, 1in6.org, and the Samaritans. If you would like to be a guest on a future podcast, just contact me anytime through email, Matt at net, or use the contact forms on the blog. Thank you again for your support and encouragement and always know that you rock. Talk to you soon.